what constitutes a really good experience of energy or of arousal or so on and so forth. And then we had a team of pharmacologists, ethnobotanists, flavor scientists, and uh, natural product chemists all working together to solve the problem of how do we make an edible give you a specific effect. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Peter Barsoom, CEO and co-founder of 1906. Peter, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Very nice to meet you, Brian and Kellen. I am here in the Hudson Valley of New York. It's great to chat today. That's great. Kellen, just another New Yorker, just in case you missed that part. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Excited to hold the West Coast down, but more excited to talk to Peter. I think that 1906 has some strong ties to Colorado, so gotta love that. And you know, just really excited to talk to Peter. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about uh, some of my favorite products in the industry, kind of the origin story and kind of how Peter made the transition from the financial industry to the cannabis industry. So Peter, for our listeners, I'll definitely about you. Can you give it a background about yourself and how you got into the cannabis industry? So my background, I spent 20 plus years in finance uh, on Wall Street in New York. I quit in 2014 and my co-founder and I, Gita, started in 1906 for three reasons. One, we both love smoking flour. And the problem, unfortunately, is that there are times and days and places where you can't smoke flour. And back in 2015, less so today, edibles suck if you're a flour smoker, right? You have no idea how it's going to make you feel. It takes way too much time to hit you. Often not made with, you know, good quality ingredients, doesn't taste good. So it was like, wow, compared to this really beautiful joint that I have versus edibles, it was a really big step down. So the first reason why we started the company is for people like us who love cannabis, who love flour, but in the times of the day, in the places where they can't smoke flour, you shouldn't have to step down so far and you should still... People deserve to have the best possible cannabis experience regardless of how they consume. So that was kind of the the original genesis behind starting the company. Sure. So we'll have to start with the the first conversation. You have this idea. You 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 have this vision for how you want to come. You decide you're going to leave the finance world for the exploratory of the cannabis space. What was the experience at that time with kind of making the these products? Like, take us through those early experimental days. So to be clear, I quit before I knew what I was going to do next. So sure. I, I didn't quit to to do cannabis. I, I quit, and then I was like, okay, let, let let's let's explore kind of different opportunities. I was looking at at the time. Um, January 2015, we fly out to Colorado to assess the market here. Um, and, you know, we expected, uh, what was amazing is just to go into a legal store and buy cannabis. Like, wow, oh my God, so much selection, so much choice. It's not just what, you know, my dealer is bringing in his backpack over to my apartment on, uh, you know, a Thursday evening. What was... Interesting is, is from the beginning, this is a very challenging market to get into. It was the case back then, and it still is the case today. So we, the government, society doesn't make it easy to be an entrepreneur in, in this market. Like if I had an idea for a beverage that didn't have cannabis, for instance, well, I would go to a lab, they would formulate for me. I might find a third party uh, provider who can do small batches to test it, you know, find then when we scale a contract manufacturer who will make it like it's easier to be an entrepreneur. 
here, you've got to start from, from really scratch everywhere. And I remember the early days where some we couldn't find space to rent because we were a cannabis company. So we ended up actually having to buy a building. Like, why am I buying a building before I even have a business up and running? Like, that doesn't make sense, right? But no, you have to buy the building. Then you have to spend all this money to outfit the building because there's so many specifications around regulation. Then you have to wait for it to get, you know, approved and get your license. Anyway, before you before you open. So we started in 2015, but our first sale wasn't until uh, late November, 2016. So it took almost two years to get it up and running. And mind you, we were working on this full time. So it wasn't like, oh, this is sort of the afternoon gig or the, or, or the week. This is, you know, two years, full time, paying people salaries, spending a lot of money, but that was the only way to do it, right? Why'd you pick Colorado instead of uh, Washington? I didn't want to live in, I mean, two reasons. That's I didn't a good want answer. <laughs> I, I didn't want to live in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, too cloudy. I'm, I'm, I'm from New Yeah, I'm from New York. I lived in London already for a while. And it's like, no, I can't, I can't. I mean, Seattle is beautiful, like for three months. Of yeah, <laughs> I agree, I agree. <laughs> and then the other reason also was Colorado is a hub for tourists. So our goal was always, okay, start in Colorado, but then expand. And so if we want to expand, it's much better to build a base of, of consumers out of Colorado than it was out of Washington. That's smart. What was the first product that you made? Was it a targeted compound originally? Did you have the same focus where you are? Take us through those concepts. And then what was the first one you released? So, you know, we were trying to solve three problems. We were trying to solve the problem of, I don't know when it's going to hit me, Right. We were also trying to solve the problem of how is this going to make me feel? And then we were also trying to solve the problem. It's got to taste great because we started with chocolates. Uh, the pills came later. Each of those is a significant problem in its own right. You know, edibles taste much better now than they did back then, but flavor was a big uh, issue. So we spent a lot of time working on flavor. Um, our chief operating officer and our first employee, Aaron Holzer, he was uh, the head chocolatier at Theo Chocolate, so master of, 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 of flavors. Um, we needed to work out then the other two problems, which is how do we, I'm a New Yorker, impatience is a virtue. I don't want to wait 45 minutes for anything to kick in. And there was no such thing as a fast-acting edible at the time. Like that didn't exist. We were the first on the market to create a fast-acting edible. So a lot of the, 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 the first year and a half was spent on R&D and formulation around, around that. We had a team. And then the other piece simultaneously with that was how do we make it a specific effect? And so what we looked at is what are the reasons why people use cannabis? And we outlined kind of the main reasons why for energy, for focus, for sex and, and arousal, for relaxation, anxiety, for uh, mood enhancement, for sleep. And so we, we outlined here are the sort of six different effects that people are looking for. And then we said, well, what constitutes a really good experience of energy or of arousal or so on and so forth? And then we had a team of pharmacologists, ethnobotanists, flavor scientists and uh, natural product chemists all working together to solve the problem of how do we make an edible give you a specific effect. Now, when you smoke, 
we know terpenes modulate the behavior of the cannabinoids, and that's what gives you that entourage effect. That's why Blue Dream affects you differently than Triangle Kush, right? It's the terpene combination there. Now, terpenes only work when you smoke it. They're volatile organic compounds, so if you eat terpenes, it's not going to do anything for you. And so what we did is we decided, well, in order to create that entourage effect in an edible, you have to rely on other dietary supplements and plant medicines. And that's where the focus was on combinations of cannabinoids with other dietary supplements and plant medicines, because we have thousands of years of history with plant medicine. We have lots of research about how caffeine works, about how ashwagandha works, about how L-theanine works. So we actually have quite a body of scientific research about um, the performance of and the safety of these different uh, uh, additives. And, and that's when we spent the rest of the time R&Ding and formulating the fast-acting experience as well as the specific effect experience. And it meant lots and lots of lots and lots of trials. So we were running almost every two week like an R&D test runs with people coming in to actually try our products and then give us feedback. And that's what allowed us to dial it in. So for yeah, each, we were, for we were each, fortunate to have lots of testers uh, for each experience. Yeah. Yeah. So for each yeah, category, yeah. did you guys have like, kind of like, okay, we're going to try for like energy, you're going to try caffeine and taurine, or I, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, like some of those ingredients. Guarana. Yeah. And so did you try a, yeah, a yeah, couple yeah. of them in each category and you sell on one or like, how did that process work? This is before we were selling. Like, so yeah. we spent the year and a half of R&D just making it and giving it to friends to try yeah. and trying it on ourselves constantly. Like, you know, and at the time we were working on our sleep experience, we were working on go for energy. We had um, uh, Midnight for Sleep. We were working on what was called High Love uh, at the time and then Chill for uh, anxiety. So we were working on those four experiences simultaneously. That has to be so challenging given all the components and, and the way we understand how the human body interacts with it. So are you asking the people in these experiments to just sit with you for the hour? Are they taking it home and then reporting it? Because it, it's got to be so challenging where you feel like you're moving forward and then a few people like go to the right. So is the first one, let's say go, just for example, are you mixing and matching those when you give them out or are you doing one experiment and saying, okay, how does everyone feel with this? How do you, how did you work with you yeah. that? So what we did there, you know, um, we were, you know, we knew caffeine needs to be a core component because caffeine is the best central nervous stimulant known to man. Like, so first we were looking at a lot of other non-caffeine stimulants, but they don't work as well. I mean, that's why 8 billion people drink caffeine. So I was like, okay, this is the best tried and true. Coffee has a number of uh, negative side effects. You get the jitters, you crash, um, accelerated heart rate. So you feel too amped up. Uh, and so I was like, okay, well, how do we make for a better energy experience than what Monster or Red Bull or others do? And that's where we worked on these other companies. So we were testing L-theanine. We were testing, you know, a whole other different stuff. And what we do is we, we give people capsules of each because to formulate everything, you know, in a chocolate would take much more time. So we would create like lots of capsules of caffeine, lots of capsules of L-theanine in different dose. And we'd say, okay, 
try this in different combinations and different dosage. And we had a log that people would share with us. Then when we liked kind of the formulation, then we'd put it into a chocolate to get the flavor right. Okay, great. Now we got the experience right from the capsules. Now put it in the chocolate, make the flavor right and, 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 and get it all and get it all working there. And then you put it into market and then you see what, and you, then what, you see what happens uh, in, in market. So, you know, we had early on in one of our products an ingredient called Yohimbe, um, which is a really nice energy stimulant. But we found some people were getting headaches from that. So even though it's totally safe, we're like, okay, this is, you know, this is concerning. So let's take Yohimbe out, for instance. And that process of, of, of trial and error and feedback is a core part of who we are as a company. Did you ever have any issues where when you had that first formulation that you knew was good and then transferred off to the chocolate, it, it lost that targeted effect or you never found that to be an issue? No, we never found that to be an issue. But you know, I'll give you an example of a story. Like when we launched Bliss, which is my favorite experience, we initially launched Bliss with a combination of, uh, of ingredients that included 5-HTP. 5-HTP is a wonderful supplement that a lot of people take. It boosts your serotonin, makes you happy. And then you know, all the feedback from our testers was very positive. We put it out into the market. And after a couple of weeks, we realized, especially some butt tenders were getting a upset stomach from it. And that's because it was negatively interacting with SSRIs. So we had a larger population of folks who are taking SSRIs for depression that were now taking bliss and were experiencing kind of a, a, a GI negativity. So after that first batch, for instance, we removed 5-HTP from our products. So it's kind of incredible. You guys, you're starting a company as an entrepreneur while simultaneously running five, maybe six kind of mini clinical trials on the side. Yeah. Like that, I mean, like that's really, really impressive, honestly. I just want to point that out. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, some some people would say crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that fascinates me most also is that your products aren't high doses, right? Like I guess 2014 to 2016, where we are, most of the products that are being on the market are not the small dose products. These are the heavier dose products. So you've taken a different approach. You've, you've identified a need and a targeted compound and you've lowered the dosing so that people can take it on a regular basis that might not be that same consumer that's currently on. That, that had to have been like an additional hurdle knowing that you were early into market with these these kind of laying out the infrastructure. Many people thought we were crazy. I remember, you know, early on people saying, oh, the only thing people, you know, these are stoners. The only thing they want is high potency for as cheap as possible. They don't care about flavor. They don't care about effect. They don't care about packaging. You know, it's just give me my 10 milligram gummy and call it a day. And early on, we decided we will not do a 10 milligram product. Um, and it was a tough sell because we were the only five milligram product on the market in Colorado. And the, the question always is, when are you going to make a 10 milligram product? When are you going to make a 10 milligram product? And we're like, we're not going to because we knew what would happen. If we had introduced the 10 milligram product at that time, the thing that would have happened is the buyers of the dispensaries would have stopped buying the five milligram product. And they would have said, oh, I'm only going to buy the 10 milligram product. And then all of a sudden, we're not a low dose brand anymore. We're just run of the mill like everybody else. I think that's so important for someone like yourself to have that conviction to understand that what currently is popular now is not necessarily what the future market will will want. And by understanding the components of like the buyers inside the, the dispensary, you were able to establish yourself and say, hey, if we make this step now, this compromise, we're going to hurt ourselves in the long term. So I want to make sure for our listeners that have seen 1906 or heard about it, could you give us like an overall arching of the brand portfolio and some of the different uh, products inside? 
like I said, kind of, there were three reasons why we started the company. One was for people like ourselves who love smoking flour. The second reason we started the company is for people like my mom, my father-in-law, um, who don't know how to spell THC. And all they want is give me something to help me with pain or with anxiety or with sleep or with energy. Like, why does cannabis have to be such a confusing mess? What's Durban poison? What's a milligram? What's THC? What's CBD? Like, all of these things make cannabis inaccessible. And we really wanted to make cannabis simple and, and easy to understand, safe, effective, and accessible. And then... In 2020, we launched our line of drops, which are the pills. And the, that now has taken the market uh, by storm. And that really, you know, that's 95% of our business. So today we have a line of fast-acting pills. We call them drops. They're sugar-free, vegan, gluten-free, no calories, pure medicine. It's the healthiest way to consume cannabis. And they come in six different types of experiences. So we have go for energy. Think of this as your cannabis speedball. We have genius for focus. That's great for uh, people to use as an Adderall supplement or Ritalin supplement for people who have ADD. Also really popular among gamers and really popular among seniors who are, work who are worried about cognitive performance uh, and cognitive decline. Then we've got uh, bliss, which is for mood enhancement, we call that nature's antidepressant. We've got uh, love, which is our equal opportunity aphrodisiac for both men and women. And then we have chill, uh, which is for uh, relaxation and, and anxiety. It is the number one chill pill. And then we're going to be uh, introducing a new sleep product called Sleep, which will be fast-acting CDN and RSO uh, in a couple months. And then finally, Boost, which is Boost is straight fast-acting THC at a great value. So Boost is a great way to enhance your 1906 experiences or take it while you're smoking or just take it as a standalone way, you know, to get, uh, to get THC in a very cost-effective and healthy way. Are all of those products available with the same formulation in, in all the states you guys are currently in? Did you have any issues with, like, say, certain states being like, this ingredient's not allowed? Was Did that ever kind of come up from a formulation standpoint? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, Pennsylvania doesn't allow, you know, so Pennsylvania, we just have our Boost product, and we, we've launched an RSO product and a rosin product, but Pennsylvania doesn't allow the other dietary supplements and plant medicines, for instance, uh, in, in that market. Um, and then you've got dosage differences. So like in Michigan and PA, we could do 30 milligram doses for, for uh, people who have a higher tolerance. Every place else we do two and a half and five milligrams. So navigating the whole, you know, New Jersey doesn't allow chocolates. New York does allow chocolates. It's the fun of cannabis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think one of Peter, one of my favorite aspects is when we cut, we got together at the House of Puff Party, and you were kind enough to give me some of the bliss. I brought that to some of my friends who were a little more hesitant to consume with edibles, and I gave them the bliss. And all they said to me was what am I going to feel? And I said, you're going to feel like a light, mellow, smiley happiness. And later on, they, all they had was this big smile on their face. And they said, I don't feel so so high, but I, I can't stop smiling. And I was like, that's exactly the whole point. And I think that is the part where you see them connect and they recognize that whatever they thought they were going to do feel with the edible, they don't feel. And they feel this incredible smile across their body 
that is the happiness that is described perfectly on the packaging. And I, I wanted to share that with you because I think that's the aspect that you said perfectly is that cannabis doesn't need to be consuming. People can reach for a product and feel comfortable knowing what that is, but not everyone's crossed that threshold with the consistency aspect and able to deliver on a product formulation that delivers every single time. Yeah, th- thank you for saying that, Brian. You know, that was a big thing for Gita in, in particular, but for, for both of us, which is, this is not marketing bullshit, right? It doesn't just say, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't say creative, right? What does creative mean? We don't have a product called creativity, for instance, because it's very hard to gauge what exactly is that. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, we were true to the name. And when people use cannabis, it's not one effect also. And, and that's the beauty about the cannabis plant is that there's so many different ways people have used it to manage pain, to manage anxiety, to be more creative, to give more energy. So I look at it as like everything we're doing is just consistent with how people actually have used cannabis in the choice of their strains. And we're just making edibles feel more like cannabis flower in a sense, but new. You know, this is, we call this cannabis 3.0. So is there a certain product that you think newer consumers gravitate towards and does the popularity vary state by state? Yeah, I mean, there is some variance. You know, as an example, East Coast, New York is much more of an energy type of market. And you see this even in the flower. Like New York is a heavy sativa-dominated flower choices. Out West, it's going to be more indica uh, products. So that's reflective of, you know, uh, of what we do. What we do find is that everybody or a lot of people have trouble sleeping and a lot of people have trouble with anxiety. Like in every market, it's, it's, it's a chill and, and, uh, and sleep are the, are the two biggest, uh, are the two biggest drivers of, of sales volume. Is there ever any products on the roadmap potentially that you're going to like diversify the like go brand in terms of like offering multiple different options like one might have caffeine in it right at different dosages have you guys like explored stuff like that in terms of expanding your product portfolio uh yes absolutely you know we 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 are the areas so we're taking the company in in a number of different directions one is expanding out our distribution access and that's going to come next month with our launch of our uh, direct-to-consumer e-commerce platform. So that will give people access to 1906 and access to cannabis in states that they don't really have ready access. The second way we're expanding is into other categories where people use cannabis. And the, the big area of focus next is on women's, uh, women's health. So women have been using cannabis around kind of menstrual time periods. And then you've also got the women going through menopause as well. And in both those cases, there have been little to no innovations from the medical field uh, since the introduction of Motrin, really. And uh, that that's unfortunate. So we think that there is a valuable role for cannabis and other plant medicines to play here. And, and we're excited to introduce some new products in, in, in that, 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 that services the needs of, of women. Are there any other areas that are commonly asked of you for these need-based solutions? Um, pain is the next one. So the other one is pain. So that is an area that we're, you know, pain is very complicated. So I don't, I can't tell you when we'll have something, but we're working on it. 
for like each of these endeavors, do you guys typically follow like a, a standard approach for your product development or is it kind of case by case in terms of what uh, problem you guys are trying to come up with a solution to? I would say those are the core things that women's menstrual health, pain, you know, and then everything else from there is much more niche. What I would like to do beyond that is look at different form factors for people to consume, you know, so that way, Hey, some people don't like pills. Some people may want it in a liquid format. And I think the next step in the evolution of the company is offer people different formats, but I, I don't want to have a proliferation, you know, of 15 different effects, for instance, because then yeah. it gets dilute. Then it gets very dilutive and like, what's really the difference between this and that. So it's good to be very clear. Single name tells you the story. You don't need to do too much around that. Is there any products that you came out with that you thought for sure would absolutely smash and pick up immediately, but just never picked up the type of steam? Maybe it could have been too early or some other factors. We make peanut butter cups in Colorado and they are the bomb, like the best. Yeah. Uh, like the Reese's best peanut, peanut butter, butter cups? Oh yeah. Even better. I mean, we literally make our own peanut butter. We literally make our own peanut butter with mesquite flour, with, you know, we have our own special blend, which tastes great. And it just never took off in, in Colorado. Colorado's, Colorado's a challenging market in general. So I want to bring the peanut butter cups here to New York because I think they would take off. And so that's an example of a product that should have done better. We launched a year or so ago a product that we called Bump, which is now called Boost. So that uh, the name there was, uh, we learned a lot around that. I had to do a lot of mea culpas and I'm sorry for the name there. So, you know, we're, we're constantly making mistakes, hopefully not the same ones multiple times, you know, but we're, 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 we're constantly innovating, trying, making mistakes and we're not too precious about ourselves. I think that's the most important aspect. And if you need a tester here in New York, I'm happy to help with the peanut butter. And for the bump aspect, I'm sure there was a specific demographic that really took to that product probably pretty quickly um, that knew exactly what they wanted when they saw that. But continuing on, 1906, I'm curious to know if the name has any implications with some of the history involved. Is, is that, am I right with leaning in that direction? Can you kind of share why you named it 1906? Yeah. And so that was the third reason why we started the company. And I said, the first reason was for people who love smoking flour. The second reason was for people like my mom who don't know how to spell THC and just want something simple. And the third reason has to do with our name. And our name is the year uh, that the uh, basically prohibition started. Um, it's the year that the Wiley Act passed, which effectively started the prohibition of cannabis. Our mission is to bring cannabis back to its pre-prohibition status, where it was widely accepted as part of the medical pharmacopoeia, where people treated it as you know normal, um, and to remind everybody of the hundred plus years of the racist war on drugs. So, our name is a reminder of where we've been, where we've come from, and the work that we need to do in the future still. What's the most expensive lesson you've ever learned? You know, we pursued a license in New Jersey in, back in 2018. And going after these licenses and these limited 
limited license states is is challenging and and very expensive. We did very well, uh, and and we actually should have won, but for a variety of you know, but we didn't. And so I would say that was one of the most expensive uh, uh, one of the most expensive lessons because you got to put a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of thought into it, and it's like you're hoping for a merit based answer. In the case of New Jersey. We lost by a few points. They, they selected the top two in the north. We were next in line and should have gotten it. We actually sued the state of New Jersey and then we won. And the courts agreed that our scores were not reflective of what it should have been. Uh, and then it's been like, you know, a legal battle, four plus years of, of, of legal battle since then. In the early days, I remember watching a podcast you were on, uh, I think it was maybe 2016. Um, and that's when kind of growth was really uh, a big topic within the industry. Everyone was kind of growth at all costs. And everyone was looking at kind of the West Coast in terms of California and Oregon and Washington to try to expand their brands. And and you kind of went against the grain and were like, I'm going to just look at everything east of the Rockies. Could you kind of walk us through that mentality from a a growth strategy perspective? Why did you only want to focus east of the Rockies? When we first started the company, we thought that the progression was going to be westward, as you said, right? go to Colorado. The next step was to go to California. And what happened was first was a personal thing is that didn't want to live in California. So realized like, I don't like traffic and navigating the California, you know, so, so that was, that was, uh, one thing. The second thing realized like California is complex and it's not one market. So just because you can be successful in San Diego doesn't mean anything about how well you're going to do in Sacramento or Los Angeles or San Bernardino or San Francisco or Oakland. So I was like, wow, this is lots and lots of mini markets. And the whole, it's a myth that, oh yeah, come into California, this big market and you could do well. Like it's a myth. And we saw that or, 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 we, we we didn't run after that uh, uh, early on, and what we saw that was interesting that was was happening is the consumers on the East Coast. You know, there was more and more push for legalization from voters and consumers, and so we were like, okay, this is a ve- this is very interesting. Let let's see how this trend plays out because we felt like from the beginning that we're much more of an East Coast brand. Uh, I live in New York. We live in New York. So it worked out well. This is where we should be. This is where we need to be. This is where it's meant to be. Dream smoking session, three people dead or alive. I would say Barack Obama, Elon Musk, John Lennon. That's a solid three. (laughs) (laughs) When you got started in the cannabis space, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong? What we got right is the initial conviction about what consumers want. I feel like we got that right. That low-dose, controlled-dose products that deliver a specific effect and that are fast-acting you know, is what people want. And we modeled that basically after ourselves. So I was like, okay, if we're going to build a company, I want to build a company around things that I want to consume and that uh, my co-founder wants to consume. So uh, uh, that was the thing that we got right. The thing that we got wrong is that it's really hard to make money. Especially in cannabis. I, you know, yeah, in cannabis, like, I mean, not in general. I mean, look, I came, I came from finance. Like, if I wanted to make money, I would have stayed in finance. <laughs> if that was my primary ambition, then, you know, I, I, and, and it, that wasn't my primary ambition to get into cannabis, thankfully. But 
for for those who did, uh, many of them have been severely disappointed. And for those of us, even if they didn't do it for that, you know, the, the lack of capital, the regulatory constraints just makes it very, very, very challenging to make, to make money. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience and a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? I would say uh, have a conviction and like stick to that conviction because there's so many challenges in here that if you don't have that conviction to withstand, then, 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 then don't bother going in there. Don't bother going into the market. Don't bother going into the market. I think that's what we need. We need people who, who believe in their products, believe in their company, believe in the mission of what they're doing. And that's what creates a robust industry. Well said. Prediction time. Peter, which cannabinoid targeted effect do you predict will become a daily staple for society? Definitely sleep will be the first. Sleep number one. I think number two will be a broad range. It's not going to be one effect, but microdosing is the, is the wave of the future, right? Pharmacological interventions into mental health have largely failed. Pharmacological interventions in mental health over the last 50 years have largely failed. We have more people who are saying they're anxious or depressed. We have more people on anxiety and antidepressant medication and if you say you have a successful drug for something, then the whole idea is to wipe out that disease, right? What we're seeing is an increase in mental health disorders uh, and an increase in people's anxiety and depression. So I think pharma has failed us in that domain. And that's why so many people are open to microdosing mushrooms, LSD, or these other things. So I think cannabis has an important role to play because it's the, it's the only legal microdosing substance right there. And I see the future of mental health as microdosing. Dylan, what's your guess? I'm going to kind of go for a wild card here. I think that it's going to be um, a formulation to treat homeostasis and allow humans to, to re-enter homeostasis. And, and this is why I think that, right? So sleep is part of your homeostasis, right? Cannabis has an impact on your sleep. Um, there's also this thing called you get hungry, right? So you munchies when you eat, which is also part of your homeostasis. So I think that, and even tying into kind of some mental health aspects, right? All of your mental health is the regulation of neurochemicals in your brain, right? I know that's a broad way to describe it, but you could kind of classify it as that. And if you're able to take something that helps regulate your homeostasis from a neurochemical perspective... I think that's a huge game changer as well. So I think that in the future, you'll have cannabinoid-based products, right, that help, that interact with your endocannabinoid system. And I think we're going to learn that your endocannabinoid system is really plays a huge part in homeostasis that then is tied to sleep, hunger, depression, anxiety, and all of those things as, as well. So I think it's kind of like one big package deal. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I think all those are fair. And as per the rules of the podcast, I have to choose one that hasn't been selected, <laughs> which is uh, very limited now. I would take relax. I, I think the one challenge we're seeing is with the increased anxiety and everyone being on their phones and the working from home, it's really hard for people to disconnect. And I think by having something like the, the 1906 chill and it helps people relax and reset their day, can help them feel a little better and just reset their day, which I think is really missing and lacking right now. And a lot of people lean towards alcohol. And I'd expect that to kind of change as the next generation takes forward. We've already seen they're not big alcohol drinkers. So Peter, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to learn more about 1906 and they want to buy it online. Where could they find you? 
our Instagram is 1906newhighs at 1906newhighs. And then uh, our website is 1906newhighs.com. Awesome. We'll link it all up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, guys. Great to chat with you. Love the conversation. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.